0: KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Flashpoint host Cherry Gregg. I just wanted to say I appreciate all of your support of the Flashpoint show and podcast. Would you do me a favor? Would you subscribe to the podcast and be sure to rate and review? We need your reviews to get us to the top. Have a happy 2021. Now, back to the show. Coming up. All hands are on deck as Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf joins the fight to curb Philadelphia's gun violence.
1: The city cannot do it alone. So we have to do it in in partnership. So this week we take a
0: deep dive analyzing the city's plan for safer communities. We're taking a geographic approach to this. The multi-pronged approach and what you can expect both long-term and short-term in the effort to save lives. Then it's a hidden piece of Philadelphia history in plain sight.
2: This is the final generation and the History is almost wiped
0: away. One of the stars of the Netflix blockbuster film, Concrete Cowboy, is here. His ties to urban cowboys and his activism coming up. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at donors1.org. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is the effort to stop the killing. This week, Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf has joined state and city leaders pledging to address gun violence in Philadelphia. And in recent days, the city released the Philadelphia Roadmap to Safer Communities Spring 2021 update, promising major interventions and investments to reduce gun violence. Erica Atwood laid it all out for the public. She's the city's new senior director for the Office of Policy and Strategic Initiatives for Criminal Justice and public safety. And she's here. Welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. Thank you for having me. First of all, congratulations on your new role with the city. A lot of work ahead, though.
1: There is. There's a lot of work. And it's, it's about not only kind of getting peace in neighborhoods, but it's about kind of what are the assets that we have? How are we building back up? Um, uh, and how are we strengthening what we know exists in our communities?
0: The city just released uh, the Philadelphia Roadmap to Safer Communities Spring 2021 update. I want you to take a few minutes and just kind of give us a very high overview of this this new update.
1: Yeah, and so just by way of background, uh, the roadmap to say for communities is the city's five-year strategy around um, how do we approach reducing the impact of gun violence um, in our communities. We know that gun violence is a multi-layered, um, multi-faceted um, issue, and and there are root causes to gun violence, and and one of the things we want to do is really address the root causes and have our strategy strategy um be reactive to real time uh, so our strategy came out in 2019 uh, and uh, that was kind of the first year where we get our ducks in a row kind of align our internal resources kind of indoctrinate kind of all our city departments like this is the way we're going because it takes all hands on deck uh, and so year two uh, was supposed to be kind of this is our outward facing let's hit the ground running and that was 2020. And so there we had to do a reset and a pivot to not only address the gun violence that we saw that was upticking prior to the pandemic, but we then had to then address the the spike and pivot our approaches to gun violence because we couldn't touch people. We couldn't be out in community. And so we had to make those pivots. And that is what our update is really talking about. The update really addresses what are the barriers that we faced in COVID? What are the priorities that we're working on um, in our implementation process through 2020? Uh, And what are things that we've learned and what are the new things we're going to try? And that's what folks will find kind of in our update. And this is an update we'll do a few times a year, just to let let community know how they can, um, how we're working, um, how they can tap in, uh, and what we can expect our outcomes to be along the way.
0: And I cover uh, gun violence from a community perspective, and I was very pleased that the city started every couple weeks, they do these public briefings where they let this Folks know what's what's going on. And one of the things you mentioned in the, in, your, in the plan that came out was that, look, a small number of individuals contribute to most gun crimes. We have structural racism, inequality, and COVID-19 was a big deal. So how will you tackle it? Because this plan, Erica, I mean, is very ambitious. It is. Makes promises. One promise is by the end of 2023, gun homicides and shootings will be reduced by 30%
1: it's in partnership with um, my co-chairs. My co-chairs are uh, Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw and Injury Prevention Manager um, in the Health Department, Dr. Ruth Abaya. And so you've got kind of the Charlie's Angels of Black women approaching this issue, um, wielding a lot of knowledge and, and a lot of Assets in our uh, our four pillars. And so it's a pillar of enforcement with kind of police and Commissioner Outlaw, a pillar of a program and engagement that comes with me and the cluster that I manage. And then you have the pillar of a public health approach that Dr. Ruth Abaya is, is putting together um, and that is applying to this. And so that is how we do it, that is how we tackle it. Um, and it's that multi pronged approach um, from Uh, strengthening community, uh, making sure young people are thriving, making sure we're removing guns and dangerous individuals, and then healing the community from um, a physical and uh, a mental uh, standpoint?
0: Yeah, because I think one of the issues right now is that a lot of the institutions um, like, you know, the rec centers, the libraries, schools, all these institutions that helped curb violence were all closed or had limited acts or kids had limited access to them. And so you saw, you know, gun violence kind of surge um, because of all of this. And so money's tight. How are you going to cause for new investment? There's a lot of layers to this. How are you going to tackle that? And I mean, when I say you, I'm not talking about you as an individual. Yeah, I'm yeah. talking about you as the city, city, as the city <laughs> representative speaking on their behalf.
1: I think we tackle it. So one, there are the investments that are coming from the federal government um, that we know we're we're trying to counter pennies now and figure out how we're going to do this over the next three years uh, with the ARP money that is coming from the Biden administration. It's also about working smarter, not harder, and reallocating resources that we that already exist to support. And so one of the things that you've noticed you noticed in my presentation is we're taking a geographic approach to this. We're looking at the neighborhoods who are experiencing the highest violence and will also have some of the the biggest deficits in terms of socioeconomic issues. And then kind of how are we looking at the assets in proximity? And so what are the, the programs, that the mentoring programs? What are the education programs? What are the training opportunities? What are the other social services supports that are in proximity to these areas? And so we're prioritizing our investments in areas across city departments that sit together. We sit together weekly and have conversations about kind of problem solving with our police captains, with community leaders, and with our agencies and and our external partners in real time. And so when you cast a wide net, you might not get all of what you need. What we're doing is doing the scoop net, And so we're getting absolutely what we need in the areas in which we need it the most.
0: I noticed in your plan and the plan—I should say the plan—I don't want to pin this. The plan, <laughs> you like? Look, you gave it. A look, look. I'm,
1: okay. I, I will say I'm attached to that thing. I, I actually worked on it as a consultant uh, for the city when it was initially drafted, and then came back within city government kind of to take this role a few years later. Um, so I, I, I own it. I love it. It's. It, we're, it's I'm, I'm walking. I'm walking black step with it. <laughs> Locked up.
0: So, the, in the plan, it talks about Operation Pinpoint yes. and, and how successful it had been. It actually found some success during the pandemic, even, but you saw it surging other places. One of the, the things about Operation Pinpoint is it increased police patrols and police presence in hot spots and uh, hot communities. But people have been so reluctant to, it seems like that works, right? You yeah. Would agree? yeah. Yeah. But people have been reluctant with regard to policing, can you talk about, you know, there's a desire to expand Operation Pinpoint. What does that mean for community?
1: So expansion for Operation Pinpoint is actually what community wants. You want a targeted approach. You want Mm -hmm. the enforcement to not be widespread, you don't want broken windows policing, which means like just because um, some little quality of life thing is wrong, you are now being penalized for. What you want is the danger to be removed from your community. And that is what Operation Pinpoint does. It looks at what are the hotspots of violence? How do we address that hot spot and not go full swath in a 10 block radius, but take it down to a two block radius?
0: But there's a desire to expand that.
1: As violence moves, um, and violence moves very much like a communicable disease. Um, if you look at, Correlations to let's say cholera and gun violence. They move and it touches. And so uh, one of the examples is kind of how it moves over the river from South Philly to Southwest Philly. And so you've got to move the uh, how you're addressing the hotspots in the same way that you would around a communicable disease. And so that is what Pinpoint is doing. It's not kind of saying it's going to go all over the city. It is going to follow where the violence goes.
0: So basically, once one area gets, people are going to move. They're going to say, it's hot. That block is hot. We can't be over there. And it may move someplace else. And so Operation Pinpoint has to move with the group. Uh, it
1: addresses the violence in, in the the displacement of, of violence and, and activity um, in real time. And so it's not like, oh, we've just got to go to South Philly and we're just going to stay there. No, it's all right. We need to nuance this. If it moves, then we got to go where it moves and still maintain and hold down what we've already kind of established. And so how do we work together between uh, policing and social services to make sure when the Violence does move, there's not a vacuum then left in the neighborhood when pinpoint moves.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a, a big concern. I've talked to communities that feel like the only time they got attention really was when something bad happened and then when it was over. That it was empty and nothing. Yeah,
1: happened. and we're really trying to change that. And we know that there was um, there've been enforcement's done through our gun or group violence uh, intervention program. And so we're looking at those neighborhoods and how do we work with community partners like um, Pastor Carl Day uh, and his team at Culture Change of Christians. They do um, they'll be an enforcement and they'll just take their their folks out to the street and just do conversations with folks in the community. And just that, and they have the the resources and the knowledge to then be able to connect folks with services that exist. Same with our community crisis intervention uh, team. And so that program, they are the ones that are out on the streets in the evening during high times. Um, they are not. They are not police. They are not law enforcement. They are programmatic. They are community engaged. They are mediators. They are providing resources. And it's one of the things you saw in um, our report and our presentation. CCIP was doing more than just interrupting the cycle of violence. They were helping folks find groceries, like folks needed formula, like because they, in in the time of COVID. And so we do more than just kind of remove the violence. It's also pouring back into community with the things that they need.
0: Part of the strategy, and you know, you do gun violence intervention with specifically with young people. uh, And one of the goals is to by 2023 to have had a hundred percent
1: outreach to folks who are at risk that we know we know of that we know. And so it's those that we know who have been, um, uh, that are, are uh, known to be involved in gun violence. They're the ones we're going to touch. And that is not just, that's across the board. It's with our GBI program. It's with behavioral health programs. It's, it's kind of everybody who sits at the table. How do we touch folks and make sure that they have other resources? There are other opportunities that are available for them and that we will help walk them through a pathway to a different life.
0: And how will you accomplish that?
1: Absolutely with partnerships. And so uh, I would say one of the strong partnerships that we're developing is with uh, Councilman Kenyatta Johnson, and he is chair of the gun violence, special the special committee for gun violence in city council. So he and I are working on how do we strengthen our hospital based interventions. A lot of our trauma centers have programs within the hospital that addresses not only the physicality of being shot or penetrating injury. But what does it mean that we make sure that we're interrupting? any possible um, retaliation that ha- that could happen, that could be planned in the hospital after somebody is shot? How are we making sure that we're getting um, other mental health services to, to, to deal with the trauma? What are all the hospitals that are taking in these patients within the city doing to address that? And how can we support them and build a coalition of our hospital-based interventions through Children's Hospital, through Temple, through Presby, through many, many others? How are we setting that table so we know when you come in with an injury, somebody from the hospital who's connected to this network is going to touch you. And then they have access to, to our team within the city that says, OK, now you're being released to the hospital. We're making sure you get what you need at home, be it through behavioral health workforce, uh, be it through education. And so we're we're, we're building out kind of the the approach as we move towards the next two years to really kind of address in, in individuals based on their specific needs from the moment they entered the hospital.
0: It's a lot of different prongs to this. Um, one of the things that I noted was there was gonna be a specific focus on involving young people in solutions, which is something I have to say, I go to a lot of these gun violence events and and you rarely see people under 35 there. This this plan includes youth-led solution or, or focus with younger yes. people. Explain how that will work.
1: So uh, the two biggest things I have that we're rolling out is one, the a next-gen task force. Next Stand Task Force um, is working with community leaders that are 30 and under who have access to those are at the highest risk. Look, I know I walk up in in a neighborhood on a corner. I'm somebody's auntie. I'm somebody's mama. At this point, I'm damn near middle-aged. I might be somebody's grandmama. And so they're not going to give me deference in the way they may give John and Rob from- Endanger kind. Endanger kind. They, They get a different level of respect and deference than I get. And so how do I empower these two brothers that are 27, 28 years old, who have the the ears and the trust of those who are caught up in the cycle right now, so they can then pull them out and pull them into a different life. And so that is where we have to make our investments. I personally, Erica Atwood does not wanna be the one that's talking about, I have the solution, I've been doing this for 30 years. That is not who I wanna be. I want to say, here is the mantle, here are, the, here are the keys, here's the tech. like here are all the things that I'm handing to you, the next generation who is relevant, who understands what is happening in the community. And so that is what I'm doing with Next Gen Task Force. It's one, identifying who those leaders are across the city, two, providing them with a network and best practices through their, to their peers And then three, being kind of putting the buddy bumpers on as they develop their programs and their strategies for their own communities. And how are we supporting them, pouring resources into them, making sure they stay on track, making sure that they have the coaching and and the cheerleading they Mm -hmm. need that encourages them to keep going because this work is really, really hard and you have to be committed to it. So that's one. Two, social media is huge. and, And there is, is the enforcement sides of, of, of social media as we're looking for the beefs that happen and the things that are going on. But what is the proactive pieces of it? What are the messaging pieces of it? And so we are, are launching um, our newsletter tomorrow. And, and part of in our newsletter will be a solicitation for uh, social media influencers we are looking for groups or individuals who can help us build out our messaging over the the course of the summer. And so this is a pilot program, like I'm on a wing and a prayer, but I really think that if we're going to do clear messaging, we're going to have a brand that resonates with individuals that really speaks to audiences we're trying to reach. And and I say there's three audiences, but we've got to have the voice of those who are the most impacted. And so through our social media, through our outreach, we're thinking about how do we let community know writ large what we're doing? Um, And that is everybody from uh, businesses to neighbors to even our suburban partners, that's one. Two, how are we letting impacted communities know what is happening in their neighborhoods, what their community organizations are doing, what resources are available. And then lastly, those who are at the epicenter who are the most vulnerable, how are we telling them, hey, we got you. You don't have to do this. We know you, we love you, and come over to this side because we will help you find other opportunities. Is this the Philly Alive 215? So that, yes, that's our social media handle. Our social media on Instagram and Facebook is at Philly Alive 215. And we were very intentional about that, very intentional about kind of how we chose the name for that We have to stop talking about just the problem. What is the solution? What do we want? What do we aspire towards? We aspire to keep Philly alive. We aspire for healthy, whole, and safe communities. We aspire to have opportunities and remove and reduce the barriers to to, um, achievability and thriving for young people and their families.
0: Mm -hmm. And so that is part of the the overall strategy. One of the things, and just a few more questions before we wrap up. Um, One of the things that I've heard in communities is that, um, you know, the money, the grants, because I know your office gives out grants uh, to community groups who are doing the boots on the ground type of work. People have been saying that the grants have been going to the wrong people that, or some of the people who are doing the work and are having more success. Uh, are not getting the funding because people have been there a long time and they they have the end and the other folks don't? How would this office sort of work to ensure that, you know, other people get funding who may have found better success and a better connection with this generation?
1: We're figuring it out. And this is um, this has been the third co- cohort of our grant process for targeted community investment grants. Um, third time's the charm, I hope. Uh, And I I would ask that people continue to be patient with us. I am looking at how we build out better measures for success for our grantees. How do we support their capacity development and build, do assessments and even build our curriculum that supports what they need. And then my hope, my dream is maybe we even have a community advisory board one day Mm -hmm. where um, We have community members who are helping us look over the applications um, and supporting the choices. And so we know that there's a diversity of voice and folks can be the captains of their own ships and what's happening in their neighborhood. So that's my dream. That's what I'm, that is what I'm working toward.
0: Because the bottom line is I hear people saying, well, well, no one knows how many lives were saved and it's hard to calculate some of the work that is done. Um, And so you're going on a strength of, of some things. And so- You know, I know that that is a big um, topic, you know, as we get ready to wrap up, I got to ask you a lot of the strategies that are laid out in this 2021 um, spring 2021 update to me feel long-term, but you know, it's getting warmer, you know, every weekend as we get closer to the summer, what are some short-term things that can be done now to kind of like keep that number from spiking even higher?
1: Yeah, so we're gearing up in a couple of ways. One, um, working with uh, Deputy Mayor Cynthia Figueroa in the Office of of Children, Families, and Youth uh, to really bump up our programming for older youth, having interventions for them. And so that's through kind of parks, recreation, and libraries as we're kind of coming back safely and opening up and, and working with them to do that. We're, we're uh, developing what are informal mentoring programs across the city and so how are we talking about uh, cross generationally what's happening in our communities and how are we pulling young folks um, sit down at the table to talk to uh, multiple generations about this work um, how are we uh, engaging, uh, how are law enforcement engaging community, not just from the enforcement aspect, but from the community aspect and working with Chief Inspector Love Craighead around how are we really focusing our efforts towards positive interaction with our law enforcement. And so those are some first steps that we're making towards summer. We're increasing our, our team around GVI. We've got a couple hires that we're bringing on for our group violence intervention program. We are looking at how we expand in a very smart way our community crisis intervention team. And it's just kind of bringing all the partners to the table to really have a, a conversation about what we're doing and what needs to happen in real time through the summer. We meet with city departments weekly and our tactical meetings. I actually left one to come and have this conversation as we're talking about our health framework and how everybody shows up to this um, to the table and, and kind of we all put five on it. We're also talking about for the summer, what does it look like? And we're figuring this out now. So we have credible messengers. We know that there are folks who are interacting with communities in real time right now. You have brothers like Daryl Shuler, you have sisters like Shante Love, you have folks like Anton Moore who are all over the city. How are we supporting their work and how are we making sure that they're communicating with each other. Um, we're communicating with us and able to have the resources they need in community in real time to interrupt that cycle of violence. Now that we're getting vaccinated and we're, we're getting out a little bit more. And so we're, we're talking about this on a daily basis. I'm really focused on uh, how do we support community because I think that's how we sustain this. I can't do it in a silo. I can't do it in a vacuum and city yeah. cannot do it alone. So we have to do it in, in partnership and it, with community and with community stakeholders and organizations. I, I hope and pray that we can really turn pivot on this. And also, I'm engaging our national partners around this Every Town, Cities United, Live Free. These are all of our national partners that engage in this work that are connected to the Biden administration that I've been deep rooted with for over a decade. And so like I'm calling all the troops to the table to make sure that we're saving lives and young people, they get to be middle-aged. They get to thrive and they know they're worth it. Erica Atwood, how can people follow it along? Please support our social media. Again, that's at Philly Alive 215 and if you have questions specifically about our program email us at cjps at phila.gov a lot of work to do I wish you Godspeed thank you thank you so
0: much next up he's connected to Philadelphia's urban cowboys and now he's got a role in a new film telling their story actually a piece of black
2: history that's been hidden yes.
0: Michael O.G. Law Tabone and the Netflix blockbuster Concrete Cowboy we we'll have more coming up Hey, Flashpoint family, if you like what you hear, Why don't you stick around and take a listen to some of our past episodes or our Flashpoint extras. One example is our exclusive interview with the one and only DJ Jazzy Jeff. He contracted COVID-19. He had some dark moments, but he survived. Take a listen to his journey. Another example is our past newsmaker of the week, Andrew Wyatt. He's spokesman for actor and comedian Bill Cosby. He explains why they're petitioning the governor to hopefully get the cause out of jail early all of this and more please subscribe to the podcast and rate and review now back to the show Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. Our Newsmaker of the Week is a longtime Philadelphia activist who uses art, music, and acting to influence young minds. Lately, he's been burning up the silver screen. Michael O. G. Law Taban was recently featured in the critically acclaimed film, Concrete Cowboy, shot right here in Philadelphia. It's the number one film on Netflix, and it stars Idris Elba and Method Man, and it's so, so good. I'm so excited, y'all, to have OG Law. He's here. Welcome to Flashpoint, sir. Peace and love.
2: Welcome. I'm, I am welcome. I
0: yes. I'm so excited to have you here. I've known you for years.
2: I feel like I went to school with
0: you. <laughs> We grew up together, right? Yeah, on the streets yes. of Philly. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about so many things, but I just want to shout out Concrete Cowboy, number yeah. one in the world on Netflix killing a game right now for folks who may be living under a rock don't know what it's about explain
2: concrete cowboy is a story about a child that had problems at home with a single mother he has to come to philly to move in with idris alba which is the uh Concrete Cowboy, example of a Philadelphian. So he comes in, he almost gets caught up in the, the culture of Philadelphia, negativity and violence, because his best friend Smush is caught up in the drama. But the horses went over. His love for the horses sort of, you know what I mean, he became the youngest of the Concrete Cowboys and the horses taught him, gave him the ability to learn how to love. And then he fell in love with his father and other things. He began to drop his guard down. And me, I'm the bad guy.
0: You play Jalen, right? A semi-bad guy. Um, But but talk about your role and what was it like being in the film?
2: Uh, Two unique things about the role that made this easier for me, you know, uh, 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 to make the transition, right? And that's, my uncle is his name was Uthman Abdissalam or Sonny or Sensei. And he used to own the stable on Cobb's Creek, which was the largest of the stables. And I used to go to his karate school on uh, 60th of Market years ago. So I grew up at like six, seven years old. Like I would walk around with the mental health patients on a horse and walk them through the trail. I grew up doing that as sort of like my mom was a single mom. I'm sending you with your uncle. You're going to learn how to fight and you're going to play with the nature and the horses and get out my hair. So I have that history with the concrete cowboys. I really like my uncle was the head of the Black Cowboys Association.
0: Wow.
2: Rest in peace. He passed away in Africa uh, about 10 years ago. And another unique thing is the spot where they asked me to put smush in the trunk was actually a location where I was coming to collect some money for some drugs years ago when I was a drug dealer. And the person who opened the money tried to kill me with a knife. And my friend pulled me out the way. So I, I got my life saved there.
0: Wow. I, so I was
2: in something where I should have been the dude in the trunk.
0: That's a crazy full circle moment.
2: So once that, that happened, I was like... I, I don't know how good I'm going to do in this road, but I said, I got a feeling that God is with me because this is just weird. Maybe it's just my time. It's like crazy.
0: For people who don't know about Concrete Cowboy, I mean, it's it's a whole culture. It's right here in Philadelphia. Where it's actually- North
2: Philly. It's South Philly. It's, it's, it's everywhere. It's, it's these, these little pop-up stables. And the film is actually a piece of Black history that's been hidden. Yes. We don't realize how authentic that history is, but it actually dates back to when we were cow hands. But then when the slaves tried to escape, we became the cowboys. So what they're trying to explain is over 50 percent of the cowboys of America was black. It reveals that Philadelphia indeed, and in fact, still has cowboy culture here. That's yes. back to the West when they used to deliver the milk and they used to deliver things with horses and and so this is the final generation and they're they're almost the, the history is almost wiped away but the film has allowed us to raise like two hundred thousand to go towards a two million dollar project to build a permanent place that we own for the Concrete Boys. It's going to be called Pura, which is Philadelphia Urban Riding Academy. And, and the beauty is, you know, it's not like a thing where Ricky Stahl, the white guy, comes in and he owns the Black Cowboys. It's more like, let me take some of the money from this film and buy a place where any of the Black Cowboy organizations that need help, they can always come to us. You you never get your horses taken anymore. You need some medicine. You need food to make them look good. You need to transport them here or there. Pura will be a, like a sort of like a, a concrete cowboy community center.
0: That's a beautiful vision. And, yeah. and here you are with a family tie, a natural tie into this, and you're in this film. And, and my
2: co-star, Tony Patterson, actually is one of the brand ambassadors for Pura. So if you see the young lady in the video, that's like my love interest. She's mm-hmm. actually of uh, executive assistant on this end, just teaching me business and how to be prepared and things of that nature. But on the flip side, she actually loves the horses. So she found a way to make a a workout out of riding the horses. So we are very serious about this, very serious about preserving this authentic piece of Black culture. And we want to thank Ricky Stahl, the Concrete Cowboys, and Philadelphia really been standing up behind this film. I'm going to make sure everybody see it because it's it, even though it says Concrete Cowboy and I'm the bad guy, it's actually not a violent film. I'm like the, I am the violence in the film. Yeah. Out, out of that, it's a history lesson and it's a learning experience to to even, in my, in my opinion, a, a, a broken Black family could look at this film and learn how we can work together for our child without being together. I think the film shows that Black people can make it through struggle and trauma. And if given a little elbow room, we can make some good healthy decisions to still build families in spite of the terrain that we live in in America.
0: And I saw that a lot of the actors look to you for guidance because you're Philly, you're part of the culture, and they're outsiders. And I actually was... Like shocked at how Idris Elba was able to hide that British accent and put on some Philly.
2: That's courtesy of Nakia Dillier. That's your yeah. actor that that he has been yeah. longer than me, but he another best kept secret that's being revealed to
0: all of this. I think it's absolutely beautiful, but we got to talk about you. You've been in Philadelphia. I, I've known you probably at least 10 years, seeing you around as long as I've been a journalist at KYW. And you're always, I've always seen you in character. Um, you're a rapper. You're an artist, a visual artist. You're an actor. And you combine all of those things to, into activism.
2: Proactivism. Proactivism, Revo Solutionary. When you hear people use the word solutionary, wherever they, they got it from me. So it was like Revo Solutionary because we need revolving solutions around these multiple problems
0: you did time in prison you figured out there you were an excellent writer and when I met you you were actually doing like a demonstration of sorts living outside and it was cold yes uh in a makeshift jail cell
2: Tracy Morgan are you listening
0: you don't you were listening Tracy Morgan I was sleeping in the jail cell, Tracy, years ago. <laughs> and you were to raise awareness about mass incarceration and to show young people what it's actually like behind bars. And people, kids, were walking inside, seeing what it is actually like. Where do you come up with these? These it is proactivism demonstrations.
2: Um, it's, it's actually divine inspiration. God still cares. Divine inspiration. God still cares, he still answer prayers, but no matter how loud these people are yelling, God Almighty is not gonna raise his voice. You have to be quiet and listen. I stayed in character even then when we could have spoke because performance art allows the young people to see consequences and repercussions, see the feel, feel get in this body bag and feel what it would be like, I got handcuffs. I put them on you and I got jail shoes. You can walk around in my shoes, walk a mile in them joint. but you could take them off and your mom can uncuff you. How many times can your mom uncuff you or your father or anybody? Or go get all of them and try to jump the handcuffs. Yeah. So I'm a fork in the road. I provide realistic information at the fork in the road. You that mad that you want to kill? This is what's going to happen. This, these are the outcomes. So you talk about ops, opposition, options, opportunities. And so we got to teach our young people how to recognize their ops. And we also have to teach our young people knowledge of self because self-love leads to self-respect. And self-respect leads to self-esteem. And self-esteem, these are downloads, just like apps on your phone. Mm -hmm. Self-esteem leads to self-motivation. Self-motivation leads to self-determination. Once you embed these characteristics within yourself, you can share them with your family, with your community. And the beauty about tying it back in the Concrete Cowboy is the horses is the horses will teach you how to love something that isn't human. The horses teach you a big responsibility of taking care of something that you love. Before you can even interact with this horse, you got to clean up that shit loving is a job, loving is work, loving is, you know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, what we saw from Cole was, even though he really ain't like horses in the smell, they mess up his Jordans, he still fell in love. He still cried for the horses. And the horse love opened up the door for the human love that was severed with his father. Yeah. And then it brought the mother and the father and the child back together. So sometimes, you know I mean? It's funny that God would tell a man at the beginning, to take care of animals before a woman. And then later on in life, sometimes it's the animals that could come back and help take us. Think about anti-violence. Every time I see a kid on a horse, they put their gun down and they get on the horse and ride. Every time they pick up a brush to brush the horse down, they got to put their gun down to brush up on the horse. You know what I'm saying? Every time they shovel in the shit so that they could go and ride the horse, because that's the responsibility, they got to put their gun down. So it's a it's not only a beautiful culture that we want to save, it's also, if you listen to these, these Black people who look like they could be shooters in this neighborhood, they got the same clothes on as everybody else down there. But one of these dudes make a half a million dollars a year riding horses as a professional jockey. He became that good of a rider right here in North Philadelphia.
0: That's the one thing I love about Philly. It's like so many gems here. Yeah. Uh, and the concrete makes you think, oh, my gosh, you look around and you realize there's gems everywhere you go and, and, and you're one of them. And so mm-hmm. I, I got to say, you know, how can people support you in your work, in your art? Because you're doing so much.
2: One of my dream projects and one of my frustrations and one thing I would like if Tracy Morgan or any of them listen. It's a possibility that a script just came across this table. And it seems so authentic. But there's only one man who drives around in the jail cell. There's only one man who's been wearing a prison suit, even when they was laughing before Meek Mills became the face of prison reform. There's only one man that was doing it. And I'm alive. I would like Philly to support me. I want everybody's support. But Philly, we built this character right here in Philly. I am Philly, born and bred, true, authentic, like a cheesesteak. I'm a Philly product. We can't let Tracy Morgan from New York walk away with my life while I'm still alive. It's, if he don't know, then reach out, contact. And what do you want? Support my organization, support my real world. Here's what I have a problem with. How do you have a fully funded imitation jail cell that drive around to act like me? The characters look like me and my ex-wife. The story is so similar, and all the pertinent information in the story is a reflection of who I am and what I do, just in a different town with a different asset and a different set of jokes. But in Philly, I parked the jail cell in the middle of a riot on 52nd street and saved 10, $20 million in damages overnight. I still raise money to finish with somebody who's fully funded to imitate. If you wanna support OG law, Cash App, dollar sign love team number seven and then go online and watch your dollars at work
0: hashtag and and you are on instagram in town do you have a project that people can come check you out i know people gonna be watching university
2: you said what It's called Hard Knock University, the mobile unprison cell, the only jail in the world designed to keep our young people out of prison and early graves. If you want to reach out and book us, you can go to at OG underscore LAW number one. And if you want to just help the horses, go to Neighborhood Film Company on Instagram and
0: help the horses. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, OG. Check them out on Instagram. Thank you so much for being here. And you did a great job in Concrete Cowboy. Thank you, Jay. Greg. Next up, a Montgomery County-based nonprofit uses ice cream to help young adults with autism.
3: Every penny that is profit in the ice cream shop gets funneled into the foundation.
0: We're shining the light on the Nightlight Foundation for Autism Awareness Month. We'll be back. Patriot Home Care is here to help when their clients need the most. If you're a caregiver and feel uncertain about where you're working now, call Patriot today. Patriot Home Care is now paying up to $600 in hazard pay to its current and newly hired direct care workers, recognizing their hard work and caring for our consumers during these uncertain times. Hazard pay will be up to $600 per direct care worker. Visit PatriotHomeCare.org, that's PatriotHomeCare.org, or call 1-877-535-5550. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to subscribe to the Flashpoint podcast by downloading the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or other platforms. All you have to do is search Flashpoint. Now, we here at KYW, we are all about community. And April is National Autism Awareness Month. The Montgomery County-based nonprofit is supporting young adults with autism by helping them live independently. I'm excited to welcome our Patriot Home Care Changemaker, Alex Bealey, president of Nightlight Foundation. Welcome to Flashpoint, Alex. Thank you, Cherry. So for folks who've never heard of the Nightlight, Foundation what is its mission?
3: the mission is it's somewhat twofold we are doing whatever we can to raise money and support people on the autism spectrum on a vocational level because when uh, people on the spectrum age out of their school years it's it's oftentimes very very difficult depending upon where they fall on the spectrum and what their support needs are it's very difficult for them a to find employment. And B, our bigger, longer term goal is to provide funding or at least augment some funding from the point of view of a housing and residential support systems that are required for people who have uh, significant needs.
0: What was the problem that Nightlife Foundation sought to solve?
3: So I have two sons on the autism spectrum. They're now uh, young adults. My older one is pretty severely affected. He's intellectually disabled and only partially verbal. And so he'll need support for the rest of his life. Uh, my younger one is a very you know different kid on the spectrum. He's uh, very much of an independent kid, very typical in a lot of ways and somewhat atypical in other ways. And so looking at the needs of somebody like my older son, when he was a lot younger, Myself and some close dear friends of, of ours decided, let's put our time, energy and resources together and start a autism related foundation and raise some money. And seeing that there was already a great deal of fundraising and focus on research and on children, we saw a gap where people, when they start to age out of their school years, and they become 21 years of age fall into the world of adult services which sadly are oftentimes underfunded or it's just struggle to find the appropriate resources and and opportunities for these individuals once they become adults so nightlight made it our mission to you know focus on that population after we became a legitimate nonprofit organization in pennsylvania we saw an ice cream shop it was actually uh, a water ice location in our township that went up for sale and a couple of the, of the board members and myself looked at it and and uh, said hey you know let's make this the face of our foundation so that way the people in our community really kind of know what we're doing at all times and and what better way to do that who doesn't like ice cream
0: you use the ice cream shop as a vehicle for
3: what awareness and every penny that is profit in the ice cream shop gets funneled into the foundation. So the ice cream shop is essentially a nonprofit. We have a lot of volunteers that work there, and most importantly, we have people with special needs that work there. So we have a partnership with the Nexus School, which is a school for children and and young adults with autism and intellectual disabilities. And we've also partnered with our own township school system. And so kids from the uh, Springfield Township High School will come over and get trained as to how you do things like you know, hey, make a batch of water ice, or get ready for the day. You know, wipe down the tables, put up the umbrellas, and it's been a really rewarding experience for for everybody involved. So we try to tackle the vocational piece of what we're after with the ice cream shop, and and then the awareness from the ice cream shop allows us to tell our story and our mission, which is really to help create some group homes that can support the individuals that have pretty severe special.
0: The reason why I was very attracted to the mission here is because it focuses on a segment of the autism population or community that is rarely looked at. Talk about the needs that these young people have and how Nightlife Foundation helps to fill those needs.
3: So those needs can range anywhere from just helping People on one end of the spectrum uh, learn how to cope with the socialization challenges. You know, hey, when you get out into the world, here's some tips and, and tricks on how you're going to interview for a job, as like one. And then the other end of the spectrum, which is really what we're probably more focused on, is those individuals that are going to require, you know, support 24-7. What happens in the state of Pennsylvania, we have what's called uh, a waiver system. So there are different levels of waivers, which is, you know, state-funded programs so that it can help a family like ours find a day program, as an example, for somebody like my son to go to. As we set out on our mission with Nightlight, you know, what we didn't know is what we didn't know. But what we did know is that there's there's always a, a need for or more. So right now our dream and goal is really to it's either set up a independent entity called Nightlight where you know we have our own house or our, or a group of homes that we manage and support. The other alternative is to partner with a pre-existing entity that already does what, you know, Nightlight Stream was set out to do. We see a great opportunity to, you know, help the people especially and and very specifically in in the community of Springfield Township in Montgomery County.
0: Awesome. So as we wrap up, how can people
3: support you? One, they can go to nightlightfoundation.org and they can make a donation directly there. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook, just search for Nightlight Ice Cream. More information about the ice cream shop itself, which is located on Bethlehem Pike, you can find our website nightlighticecream.com. Sponsor
0: a tub. That's sponsored. T-
3: yeah, th- thank you. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Sponsor a tub. Buy a tub of ice cream for us. That way, the ice cream shop is more profitable, and all of those proceeds will go back into the foundation.
0: Awesome. Well with that I want to say thank you so much to Alex Veely of Nightlight Foundation. Check him out at nightlifefoundation.org. Thanks so much for being here. That's it for Flashpoint. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint show. and since we always wrap it up with a quote here's one from unknown. Accountability is the glue that bonds commitment to results. This show was produced by Ariane Fulcher and me, your host Cherry Gregg. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program, Or can Donors Save Lives. Until next week, thanks for listening.